And so, for this morning's message, I'd like you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to read the verse, first eight verses and open your Bibles, open your iPhones or wherever, and it's written up here on the screen. This is the story of a very difficult time in King David's life. It was before he was actually king officially. God had anointed him, and yet he was in difficulty. He was hunted and hounded by Saul all those years, and this was one of his final tests before he came to the throne. The Amalekites attacked the place where David was, took away captive so many of uh, David's entourage and families and so on, and yet David learned a secret. He responded in a certain way, which ultimately led to the reversal of everything, and David was able to recover everything that was lost. Let's read it, 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag and burnt it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city. And there it was, burnt with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam and the Jesuitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. King James Version says, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Verse 7. Then David said to Abiath of the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiath brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, recover all. A little later on, we discovered that's what actually happened. David recovered all. Today, my title is The Art of Talking to Yourself. And what I really want to get to is learning how to encourage yourself through godly self-conversation. In today's world, communication is everything and everywhere. It's all important. The technological revolution that we've experienced in recent generations and is continuing apace has brought in so many new forms of communication, new ways of remaining in contact through the internet, social media, emails, smartphones, Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, FaceTime, and Twitter. Even the Archbishop Twitters, as I've retweeted his twit 
treat uh, in the opening page of our Revival Times. And one thing is for sure, communication remains central and integral to our lives. And as believers, we communicate with God, we communicate with each other, and we communicate with ourselves. This is the art of talking to yourself. I grew up with the idea that people who talk to themselves are a bit strange, a bit odd, even a bit loopy. But now after many years of reflection, I guess my answer would be, it's, I, it depends on what you're saying to yourself. Actually, talking to yourself is very biblical. We've just read how David encouraged himself in the Lord. How did he do that? Well, he was the master of the art of self-conversation. This was an extremely low point in his life. We've just read the story. The Amalekites came and, and burnt down the town where David was dwelling with all of his entourage and the people that he'd built up over the years as he was in exile on the run from King Saul. King Saul's not going to survive much longer after this, but David didn't know that. And, and to add insult to injury, David comes back to the city, sees it's burnt down, and all his goods and, and his family members and the people who are with him and their goods, their family members are taken away. And they were so distressed, it said, they wept so bitterly so long that they had no more strength to weep. And the rest of the people turned on David and said, it's your fault. And they talked about stoning him. It's not only had David his own issues, his own problems, his, had all the responsibility of the lives of other people that he was seeking to be responsible for. And now even his fellow members of his entourage were beginning to accuse him. They're talking about stoning. And at what time, what, at, what did he do at this particular point? The Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. That was his response. How did he do that? Well, quite simply, he talked to himself. He encouraged himself by reminding himself of some very pertinent truths. When we read the Psalms, we find many times David talking to himself, giving himself a good talking to in a godly way. Maybe he at this time used some of the words which were later to become Psalm 42, verse 11. Here is a classical example of David talking to himself. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now there is a good form of self-conversation. You cannot always rely on other people to give you a word, to encourage you, to lift you up at the point of your need. So you need to develop the art of self-conversation to the point where you know how to take yourself, give yourself a good talking to by investing into your soul the treasures of God's revelation, the treasures of God's wisdom, and speaking truth to your inner man. Another example is found in Psalm 103. We're going to spend a bit of time on this, and so let's read the first six verses, Psalm 103. Notice how again 
David is talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And just in case you didn't hear me the first time, I'll say it again even louder. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Did you hear me, Saul? Because I'm speaking to you. How you talk to yourself is vitally, vitally important. God has given us the capacity of reflection, particularly inner reflection, inward reflection. This is part of the faculty that God has given to us as made in his image, the capacity to think, to, to reflect. It's part of our self-consciousness, our self-awareness. And as this is a reflection of the image of God in our own personality, it speaks of that rational, self-determining, autonomous nature of humanity that is given to us. It is a wonderful capacity to be able to reflect and reason in your heart and thereby learning to speak truth to yourself, storing it up for that moment when you need it most or even at your lowest point coming to your senses and speaking to yourself. A good time to do this is every morning when you go to the bathroom and look in the mirror. Instead of saying, <laughs> look in the mirror and say, well, you would say you, and I'll say me. So you look in your mirror and say, Colin. I look in my mirror and say, now, oh, Colin, today is going to be a good day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Did you hear me, Colin? Wake up and rejoice. Good time to learn to speak to yourself. Now, in order to, 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 to do this, we, 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 we've got to understand this is such a basic principle. This is not some spiritualized, Christianized view of form of, of positive thinking or NLP, neuro-linguistic programming or, or, or any form of cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And, and in some of those, so those disciplines, as some of these principles are found, but, but they are godly principles. And it begins the very first day you are saved. Remember Romans 10 verse 9. Remember that? It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So can you see? There is a believing in your heart and there's a confessing. And, and the first person you speak to when you're saved is yourself. You become aware of what's happening inside you and you actually speak to yourself and feed back to yourself the stuff that you're becoming aware of because you're amazed. Then of course you immediately go and tell other people that's true, but first of all you talk to yourself. I remember 
when I was first conscious that something had happened to me. And, and I sat down and I wrote it out. God has come into my life through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I wrote it down. I thought, I'm talking to myself. That's what's happening to, to me. I testified to myself. I remember the first time when I read, read Billy Graham's book, Peace with God, the chapter the chapter on the cross, and I understood for the very first time exactly why Jesus died. And, and like all spiritual truth, when you discover it, your mouth starts getting engaged. You start speaking it out loud. Or maybe, certainly, you form and articulate the words. You speak back to yourself. The first person you testify to is yourself. And so there am I, receiving spiritual revelation, not just for salvation, but throughout my life as a Christian, and, and there am I, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself, and Amanda comes and says, are you all right, you're right, yes, I'm talking to myself. As you're here, you're going to be the congregation of one. I'll start speaking to you. What's going on inside when you're excited about it, the one of the gifts that God has given you, the ability to take up the word of God and speak to it, before you start thinking about speaking to others, before you start thinking about speaking those words over the evil circumstances, you learn to speak to yourself and tell yourself what God is saying to you. Now, in order to be a good communicator, there is a very important aspect that we must master. That is the art of listening. Having a conversation with somebody, and they're not a good listener, have you noticed how frustrating that is? You might be all in an excited way, talking, 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 all that's happened to you, all that's happened to you, it's amazing, it's happened, and they say, oh yeah, yes, oh by the way, and they change the subject entirely. They've not heard a single word that you have said. Many wives in this place will say, amen. <laughs> we know what you're talking about. And, um, or perhaps, the, 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 the interactive level is not there, or maybe you're talking to a salesman or talking to somebody from the Watchtower Society, and you're, you're, while you're talking, they're just thinking about what they're going to say next. They're not listening to you. Now, the first person that you have to learn to listen to is yourself. Listen to what you're saying to yourself. It's very important, because the truth is, the inner person is very, very busy. So much is happening every moment of every day. So much is going on inside and you're having a conversation with yourself at all times. You are telling yourself all kinds of things. And so just hook into this to find out what you're saying to yourself and if that's actually helpful, it's actually, if it's actually true, you first got to learn to listen. There are some people that have multiple personalities. I'm not speaking as a clinical psychologist. I'm talking about somebody that has been around a little bit. They have one personality walking down the road. Very nice, hello, how are you? Smile, smile. Put them behind the wheel of a car, they change into a monster. <laughs> have you met people like that? There are other kinds of people who outside of committee meetings are very pleasant, very nice. But give them a bit of power, put them on a committee and they change into a dragon and a monster breathing fire and brimstone. <laughs> on one such occasion, I was in a committee meeting and all hell was breaking loose, and one person was mouthing off about all kinds of stuff, working themselves up into a lather, uh, and they were just coming out with outrageous things. So I said, stop! Can you hear yourself? Just listen to yourself. And that actually diffused 
a very difficult situation. If you have to stop yourself and say, oh my, just listen. Colin, just listen to yourself. Just listen to what you're thinking. Listen to what you're saying to yourself because it isn't always healthy. So in order to talk to yourself, you've got to learn to listen to yourself and evaluate those inner signals and inner messages in your private self-conversation and ask yourself, is what I am telling myself, is it true? Is it valuable? Is it helpful? Is my self-speech lining up with God's revelation for me? So now we begin to see the importance of the art of self-communication. So often it has to do with learning to change what you're saying to yourself. And that's a very important principle of the spiritual life. In my book, Mastering Your Emotions, I show you how that you have no, usually no direct access to the control of your emotions as an indirect access. You can't switch on or off emotions. When we think we do that, actually we're pushing them down. And so there's this ABC theory of human reaction. It's very simple like this. And it's, uh, I think it's highly biblical, but it's used in a lot of different disciplines. A is an event. B are your beliefs concerning that event. And C is your response, emotional response or physiological response. So you've got your A, that's the event. B, what you believe, how you perceive that event. And C, what's going on inside you by way of response. And here's the theory. I think it's sound one. Your response, C, to the events, A, are determined by your beliefs, B. So how you respond on any situation or circumstance to any event is usually very largely determined by how you perceive that event, what you're telling yourself about that event. Let me give you an example. I want you to picture this, highly elaborate, use your imagination, and uh, it's you on two different occasions and uh, you're sitting at home alone, and scenario one, you are so grateful that finally, after all the cell group meetings, the prayer meetings, the business extracurricular social life, you have finally an evening to yourself at home. Close your eyes and picture such a wonderful opportunity. So you think this is great, it's tonight it's me time, so you sit down just to relax, start to get on with all the stuff you would like to do, and then the telephone rings. You think, oh no, okay, you answer it. And so somebody keeps you on the phone. They bend your ears until it's black and blue, and finally you manage to hang up. Sit back and relax again. The telephone goes again, even more irritatedly, you answer them, yes, and you, that person keeps you longer than you were even born, and, you, and what you're gonna do, and it happens three times, and eventually, so, eventually so frustrated. Okay, fast forward to another occasion. This time, you've been home alone for too long. And now your need is not so much for solitude as for company. And there you are sitting, oh, what am I going to do tonight? The phone rings, hi, how are you? You keep them longer than they hoped. <laughs> and the phone rings again, you're delighted. You have a great time. When the phone rings again, you have a fantastic time to go to bed satisfied because you got what you needed, company. Now, can you see externally, the events were very, very similar. 
But what made your response in the first scenario so different from your response in the second scenario? It was your need at the time and how you perceived the event. Tonight I'll be speaking a whole lot more about how that relates to a whole range of emotions, anger, frustration, low, feeling low, feeling depressed, uh, feeling happy even, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and fear and anxiety. We're going to look, look at some of that. Let me do technical because we'll be asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us and minister to our emotions tonight. So this shows you actually that what you are saying to yourself is very, very important. And if you can learn to speak to yourself in line with God's revelation, then you are more likely to have the best kind of responses that will bring about a change so that you, like David, may be able to recover all. So we've got to focus on changing what you say to yourself. I'm going to focus on the positive and you can fill in the gaps as to how you might necessarily or ordinarily be going in the other direction. And it's very simple. We're going to look at how we can change the way we talk to ourselves about our past, how we can change the way we talk to ourselves about our present, and as your great preachers, you're ahead of me already, how we can talk to ourselves about our future. You got it. So we go back to Psalm 103. Have a look at these first six verses. Now, when you glance your eye over them again, I hope you notice that everything that David says is in the present tense. Properly speaking, some things he talks about belong to what God's done for him in the past and what God does, is going to do for him in the future. But it's all in present tense. Why? Because David is speaking to himself. That's what's so wonderful about the art of self-conversation. You are, it's a present tense involvement, a present tense interaction, a present tense experience of God, his truth, and the word that he's bringing in your life. So that's how you can make the scripture so real and so pre uh, present and relevant to you at that particular moment. Second reason why it's all in the present tense, because it's our God is in the present tense. Now, you know, when, the, when, <coughs> when God reveals himself, he doesn't say, that's who I was. Or that's who I will become. No, he says, this is who I am. And so when you speak to yourself, not only are you bringing God's word into the present in your experience, you are reminding that God Reminding yourself that God is the eternal present one. He is here now and he is blessing your life and he is ready to help you and he is going to help you overcome every stuff, it's got all the stuff that's going on in your life. But having said that, in the seven things that I identify in these six verses, one of them is particularly relevant to the past. Of course, it still affects us in the present. And another one, that, that's the first one. The last one is particularly relevant to the future. And that's very important to know that God deals with us in all these three tenses. So let's have a look at them. First of all, this is the past tense one. In other words, this is what God has done for you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. Verse 3, who forgives a few of your iniquities. Sorry? 
Um, oh, let me try and read that again. Who forgives many of your iniquities. What does it say? Oh, yes, so it does. Who forgives all your iniquities. Can I have an amen in the house? Amen. What does that mean? When you look on your past and you look back on it, Every single thing that you've ever done against God, if you are a believer, is already forgiven, removed, taken away, forgotten. God will not remember it any longer. He will not use it. He will not impute your sin to you because all your sins were laid on Jesus 2,000 years ago. And that deserves a big Pentecostal hallelujah. Forgives all your iniquities. Now why is that important? Because so often in our self-conversation, we talk to ourselves. We remind ourselves. We underline. We discuss with ourselves our past sins. God has forgotten them. You must do the same. So you remind yourself that all your sins are forgiven and taken away completely. And this is very important because the devil is a talker as well. And he loves to remind us of our weaknesses, our faults, our sins, and our failures. And very often, the devil doesn't have to say a word. He leaves that to your brothers and sisters who come around with a spirit of accusation. Ouch, ouch, ouch. These things ought not to be, little children. We should be intercessors, not accusers. But the enemy is the accuser. But you fight, you fight the accusation of the enemy by speaking to yourself and saying, Colin, all your sins were removed 2,000 years ago and the blood keeps on cleansing you from every sin. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And that is a yoke that is broken off your shoulders. Amen. amen. A stronger amen. Hallelujah. Great. Forgiveness. Essentially past. And of course, there's the ongoing process of the, of the cleansing of the blood. Second thing. Now we start for five of these belong very particularly to what God is doing now. So God has worked in our life. He will work in our life. And he is doing things now. First thing, again, half, second part of verse 3. Who heals all your diseases who heals all your diseases. This is wholeness. Now remember, David is talking to his soul. He's talking to his inner self. And I know that this promise has to do with physical healing as well. But what's important to me is that David is speaking to his soul. Speaking to himself, speaking to what's going on inside him, speaking to all those hurts, all those injuries, all that negative stuff on the inside of him and say, now remember soul, God is your healer and he is making your soul whole. How many whole souls do we have here? It's a process. It's an ongoing process. In fact, I would think that the description of sanctification, which is God working his, his healing and salvation in us, is very largely a matter of wholeness. A wholeness that's going on in our soul. A process of inner healing. 
And without it, we are hurting people and hurting bad. And hurting bad people behave badly by hurting other people. And, and this is not just a question of how long you've been a Christian. It's not just a question of how old you are in the Lord. It's how much you've opened your soul to the moving of the Holy Spirit in which you've allowed him to enter and penetrate the depths of your inner being and bring the soothing oil of his healing balm and experience healing from hurt, healing from rejection, and healing from everything else that has fractured your inner personality. Vitally important. And so David was, as it were, not just speaking to himself, but laying hands on his own soul. It's as if he took his soul out, put it in front of him and said, I'm going to lay hands on you. Be healed, O oh my soul, because God has wholeness for you. Never be content just to rise to certain levels of inner wholeness. Learn how to continually invite God's Holy Spirit to penetrate the deepest part of you. And one of the ways that it manifests is in a sweet, forgiving spirit that can hardly even remember the names and places and addresses of people who have hurt you. So that when they speak evil of you, you speak sweet things. And it's not as if you're saying it for a technique. You are just so enriched with the wonderful healing presence of Jesus on the inside of you. Wholeness and sweetness are very much the same. I've met so many people, my, 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 they know how to sing sweetly when they're worshiping, but my, 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 you cross them and you will find the poison of asps under their tongue and a bitter spirit that is destroying them. There's an old Chinese saying, if you seek revenge, you better begin by digging two graves. <laughs> but no, no, no. Wholeness, who heals all your diseases. Next one, verse 4, who redeems your life from destruction. The word for this, to my mind, is restoration. Redemption is restoration. It is restoring what you've lost. But in the Bible... Redemption is never just getting back what you lost. You get it back with interest. So in the very, very beginning, what Adam and Eve lost in the garden, which was their position of authority and dominion, in Christ it is restored. Now, it is not just authority over the physical domain. In Christ, it's authority over the spiritual domain. We will judge angels. So God has restored to humanity more than what was lost. And this is the wonderful, miracle-working grace, restoring, redemptive power of God. And it gives you a lot of confidence and a whole range of spiritual truth and spiritual vocabulary with which you can address yourself and say, soul, listen to this. Yes, 
you blew it. Yes, you allowed the spirit of destruction to come in. Yes, you've lost so much, but you can recover all. Not just what you've lost, but even more besides. So get ready, speak to yourself good words, and you will discover a fresh confidence, a fresh strength, and it won't just be, well, I blew it, but God's gonna give me another chance. No, 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 it's much more than I blew it, I double blew it, I double deluxe blew it, I double deluxe to Billow Boss underline blew it, but God is restoring me and I'm going to receive more blessing than ever before because he redeems my soul from destruction. Be really ready to take this in a physical sense. We need physical, physical preservation. In all the security, we pray for the security officers and the security services in all the nations here in Britain and Europe in today's dangerous world. But remember, the chief, a security officer taking care of you is Mr. God, the Holy Spirit. So yes, of course, this includes preservation of your physical life. But the word for life and the word for soul are interchangeable. I think this is about God's restoration process. Rebuilding your personality. Rebuilding your life from the inside out so that you have a developed strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. Not from your own ability or your own cleverness or any other kind of psychologizing technique of some latest research from somewhere. The old-fashioned wisdom of the ages and the present power of God combined so that you are restored by the grace of God. Next one also in verse 4 is what I might call reward or favor. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Well, if ever you are crowned, what does that tell you about who you are? If I said I have a crown for you, you will say, are you treating me like a princess or a queen? You betcha. God treats us with such respect and elevates us to a position of high honor. And the the crown is not a crown of gold or a crown of jewels. It is a crown of loving kindness and tender mercy. How wonderful. I think this is about reward. It's as we, as we walk through life and draw on his grace and move in line with the Holy Spirit's revelation and learn to speak God's word to ourselves and engage in godly self-communication that puts us in the place where God can bless us and God can fill us and God can crown us with Tender mercies and loving kindness. It's his favor. Amen and amen. Okay, next one. Verse 5. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. Okay, let's start with the word mouth because this is very physical. Satisfies your mouth. Before we talk about spiritual food, let's talk about the fact that God promises to put food in our mouth. Amen? I don't know where you are right now. This is very, very simple. There's no complicated faith techniques here. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made it very, very clear that he provides 
abundantly for his children. And if you're going through testing times financially and materially, let me remind you of this promise and you can speak that into your own soul. He satisfies my mouth with good things. God will not let you down. However, I think it's a little more than that. And one time when Jesus satisfied a crowd of hungry people that numbered at least 5,000 men without counting the women and children. He fed those 5,000. The next day they were looking for him to make him king, saying, this is what we need. Can you imagine if that happened today? We'd say, excuse me, uh, Teresa, could you just move out of number 10? Because we have got a better king. We've got somebody who can fix our economy. Maybe Teresa would, uh, would uh, argue with you, well, put him in number 11 then. <laughs> but the point is, is this, is that Jesus would have none of that earthly political kingship. He said, no, no, you are seeking me not because of any reason you suppose, but you're seeking me because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Meaning, you are discerning that behind the material, physical blessing that I may have provided for you, my authority to do that grants me an even greater ability, and that is to satisfy the hunger of your soul. I am the bread of life. He who feeds in me shall never hunger. I am the water of life. He that thirsts, come to me and drink. I will ensure you never thirst again because God's provision is a stronger provision and a more permanent provision than even the very necessary physical provisions of which we, we, we've been speaking because the Bible says, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is good things in your mouth. The word of God in your mouth and this is how you eat it. This is how you receive it. It's not just receiving it in your mind. It's receiving it in your mouth. In other words, you take the Word of God and you speak out the Word of God and you start becoming a preacher and the first audience is the audience of yourself and you speak that Word and in this way you feed on the bread of life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. To the point of satisfaction. Satisfaction is one of those things that belongs to the future life properly. We get foretastes of it now, but, but don't think that you will ever be fully satisfied in the fullness of that understanding here in this life. But there is a level of satisfaction when you learn to take the Word of God and chew on the Word of God and speak it out, first of all, to your inner life. Next one. Also verse 5. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Well, I started with the word preservation because I kind of like that word. What you see before you is an ongoing effort of preservation trying to ensure that my youth, like or unlike the eagles, is, comes out more than the aging process. And judging by the look of some of your faces, they try harder, Colin, you haven't succeeded. <laughs> but it's more than outward preservation. 
And I'm all for that, by the way. But this is talking about an inward renewal. An ongoing rejuvenation. The Bible says the outward man is perishing. But the inward man, the inward personality is being renewed. And that's how you can stay eternally young on the inside. Your mind is fresh. Your mind is renewed. And people will look at you and say, my, 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 where's your cynicism? Where's your hopelessness? Where's all the stuff that should come upon old people? It's not there because Jesus keeps me young on the inside. Amen and amen. Finally, those are the five things that are to do with um, what God is working now. Wholeness, restoration, reward, favor, provision, satisfaction, preservation, and renewal of the mind. Now, the final one belongs essentially in the future. And just as the first one, forgiveness, is, is essentially the past, if it has ongoing, present effects. The blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us from sin. So, so this vindication, this justice that God promises us in the future, aspects of that fall into our life now. And it's very, very sweet when God vindicates us here and now. And happens. That happens. But we, we have to grow up and be mature and realize that until the new heavens and the new earth, which is the home of justice, the home of righteousness, now we live in the old heavens and the old earth and things don't always go as they should. You don't have to live very long to find out that life ain't just. You know, you can argue as much as you like. You go to work and you find you know, it's not always so fair. Is that right? Say, well, at least I can go home. Oh, no, at home you find it's not always fair. Well, at least I can go to the people of God because the people of God are so full of faith, so full of hope, so full of love, so full of righteousness that they will never, ever treat me unfairly. Oh, bless you. <laughs> but your hope for justice is not in your self-vindication. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Neither is ultimate hope for justice in anything that is relational here in this present world. However, we've we, we, we got to work for that and let's try and approximate to it. Let's learn to introduce the principles of justice and fairness and righteousness in our home, our family, our workplace, our society. We are here as agents of God's righteousness, but the very best that we do in this life is nothing more than a pointer to that day when the heavens will melt with fervent heat and the old earth and the old heaven will pass away and there'll come a new heavens and a new earth, which is the home of righteousness and justice. So God says, this is the final blessing of you remind yourself. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So you say to yourself, now, even if in this moment nobody believes me, even in this moment everybody's against me, Nobody is prepared to listen to my side of the case. And everywhere I go, injustice, injustice, injustice. There is nothing worse and more hurtful than when you suffer unjustly or you see people get away with stuff that they've worked against you and they manage to, like a 
slippery eels slither out of it and you know that for all your attempts to become chief, prosecutor, judge, jury and executioner, you still can't get that justice. And you say, well, soul, don't give up. Don't cop out in endless depression. Understand this, the Lord executes righteousness and just, justice for all who are oppressed. God, one day, one day, you're going to reveal the truth about this. One day, you're going to set the record straight. And I trust you. So soul, stop mourning. Stop being depressed. Hope in God. He is your help. And he is your health. And he is the one who raises your countenance. Amen and amen. amen. That, let's give Jesus praise. That's how you learn to speak to yourself. Let me conclude by asking you a question. Are you speaking to yourself words of encouragement? Have you learned to listen to where your self-conversation doesn't line up with what God is saying to you? And therefore, change what you're saying to yourself and let it line up with God's revelation, the ultimate reality, and in doing that, reinforce the revelation of God to your own soul and, and store it up like a treasure. So when the time comes, you reach down to the treasure of your soul and bring out a polished jewel of high-performance revelation expressed in words that you have constantly addressed to yourself. It's all about receiving God's revelation in your heart and speaking it out, first of all, to yourself. That's how you learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. Mm -hmm.